so I'm thinking about a bonus episode and I'm thinking about it on the fly. And right now I am in Biloxi, Mississippi, which is on the Gulf Coast. I just left an interesting and very nice restaurant called the Half Shell Oyster House. And I'm now walking down the street, just trying to get a glimpse of Biloxi at, at night, even though it doesn't look like night. It's been really foggy all day long, so much so that there was a weather advisory about it. I got in to the area today at about 2.30 p.m. I left Starkville at 10.30. It's four hours, even though it's only 211 miles. There are no interstates until you hit uh, almost the last 45 minutes of the ride. When you can take, uh, I believe it's I-10 towards New Orleans. But it's, it's always good to be here because as a birder, you know, a place that borders any body of water uh, is always going to attract, you know, your shorebirds and your great blue herons, your terns, your gulls, your black skimmers. And sometimes people see an occasional magnificent frigate bird through here. But you might ask, what are you doing here besides birds? Well, I'm doing what they call a research development. And that is when someone who is uh, a tenure track professor, they, they go and develop uh, new research ideas, new possibilities for collaboration. And that's what I'm doing. I'm going to um, Mississippi State uh, Extension Center that focuses on Gulf Coast climate resilience. I'm going to try to put my heads together with their brilliant heads and see if maybe we can collaborate on a paper. But I'm just sitting here at night looking at the light post and the fog blowing in the air. There's a bit of wind. When I drove into Biloxi today, even though there was still some residual fog, I saw a great blue heron soaring down about to land. And that's always a wonderful sight. So that's what I'll share for now. I'm going to keep walking and then I'll go back to my hotel. And it's day two of my Biloxi adventure, which now finds me in Houston, Texas. You might wonder, why are you in Houston, Texas? Well, the distance, well, at least the time that it takes to get from Biloxi, Mississippi to Houston, Texas is about uh, six hours. And... Because I have driven from Tucson to Mississippi before, which is a 24-hour trip, comparably, 
Six hours to me is like 45 minutes to someone else. <laughs> so a mishap um, that occurred during, due to my grief brain. And grief brain encompasses many things. It encompasses the inability to focus sometimes. It encompasses uh, intrusive thoughts that are attached to a death event. But it also manifests in a generalized uh, scatterbrainness because your body is operating on every cylinder just to survive because you've endured such an emotionally traumatic event. So the scatterbrainness is is high for grievers, uh even even into their third year as mine is my grief journey is. So a mishap that occurred that uh resulted in me not having a hotel room um for the next day in Biloxi. So I said to myself, well, since I have nowhere to sleep, because Biloxi is, is a tourist economy, even though the season hasn't uh, gotten into full swing yet, I think it gets into full swing in Mar- uh, like in mid-March when the ferries start back up. But it's kind of like the, pre, the pre-season, I guess. So I didn't have anywhere to sleep. So I have a friend, Dr. Linda Garcia Merchant, who lives in Houston. And so I said, I'll just go see Linda. So I set off. Now, before I set off and before I found out I didn't have a hotel room in Biloxi, I had went on an epic birding adventure that did not turn up many results. I did see tons and tons of laughing gulls. I saw a few ring-billed gulls. I saw... Uh, feral pigeons, rock pigeons as they call them, and uh, some with leucism. And I saw a young family, a child and uh, their their parents uh, feeding french fries to the gulls, which there had to be at least a hundred of them. And they just swarmed and swayed and swarmed and swayed. It would have Quite possibly terrified some people, but uh, I thought it was funny. But I, I just didn't want them to uh, relieve themselves on me. So I, I moved from the scene. I was in search of the ready turnstone. I did not find the ready turnstone. One, because it was pretty, it's pretty heavy fog in the morning in Biloxi. And two, the hot spots that are listed on eBird in Biloxi are high recreator areas. So yes, they may be like parks or uh, natural places, but they they aren't sanctuaries. So a sanctuary would mean that there are protections that ensure that birds and other wildlife uh, have as little human disturbance as possible. So even though recreating is amazing and it, it makes people more connected to nature, whenever a park allows, you know, full-on recreation, whether it's kayaking or boats or fishing or running or walking the dog or running the dog, it means that 
birds who are nesting, birds that uh, are easily uh, spooked are, are not going to congregate there. So it was difficult for me to find a pristine sanctuary that may exist, but I don't know of it because I don't know any birds in Biloxi. Now, if I was connected to like the birders there, maybe, but see, I don't even know if it's a, a robust birding community because you can't just assume that every community has that because they don't. Um, you can look at an eBird hotspot and see some places that you know probably have lots of birds, but because they are not birders who are logging things, it looks like it hasn't been a bird sighting since like October 2022. And you know that's not true. It's just the fact that that particular platform that is aggregating bird sightings, someone, there's not enough people going there. So that's kind of, to me, that's an indicator that there is a really robust birding scene. Not saying they're not birders there, but they're not birders to the point where they're involving themselves in uh, checklisting on eBird, which to many birders, it's essential, but not to all. But anyway, I digress on that. So I didn't see the ready turnstone. So it's okay. Biloxi is beautiful. It's got connections to water. It's got wetlands, but, you know, the hot spots that I'm seeing, they're just not turning up many birds. So I said, let me go to Louisiana. You know, Louisiana is right beside Biloxi. New Orleans is only an hour from Biloxi. So I went to uh, what they call Bayou Sauvage. I may be saying that wrong. I took German. I didn't take French. And it was it was quite pretty, but I did not come across uh, any road cuts that would have allowed me to be thrust into the center of the refuge. The refuge is it's kind of just this one road. You pass some residential habitation, which are really cool. They're like bayou. They look like bayou houses. They're up on stilts. All of them have like a boat. It 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 was quite cool. Um, but once you pass the habitations, you get into the more wilderness type area. But I, I didn't see much. I saw a few built tail grackles uh, on the trees, but that's about it. But then again, it was not early morning. It was in the afternoon. But again, you think. I'm in New Orleans, I'm in Louisiana, you know, this this proximity to uh, the Gulf, this proximity to uh, the flyways that may come out of Texas and Mexico and Central America, you think, I'm going to see something. Okay. But I did see something. As I was driving out of Bayou Sauvage National Wildlife Refuge, I saw an alligator in the street. And it was just sitting there, just looking. So, of course, since I had my camera ready, because I thought I was going to see a ready turnstone, I said, well, it looks like I get to see an alligator in the street. Now, I've seen an alligator in the water before. I've seen that in, in Starkville. 
you go to Noxabee, boom, at, at any, especially in the spring or summer, you're going to see, you might even see the alligator in the spillway right near Great Blue Herons. I, I think those are young, like young baby alligators, though. Because the one I saw in Starkfield back in July, it was literally hanging out with great blue herons and little blue herons. It was very strange. I have pictures too. Anyway, though, that was in the water. I saw this one in the street. So it was this interesting convergence of the edge of the refuge going back towards, I think it's called Slidell, Louisiana. So going back towards regular commercial people habitation, land use, and there was the alligator right on the edge. I got a few pictures and I'll post them in the show notes. So once I realized that I wasn't going to be able to go to some really robust sanctuaries in the area, because A, I'm not from there, and B, I don't have like an inside track to the birders there. I said, well, and then I called the hotel to make sure that everything was everything, and they told me my room was given away. So one thing that group teaches you is not to, uh, not to like just obsess over a, over a complication like that. And so I said, well, I would love to see my friend Linda. And my appointment in Biloxi isn't until Monday. So I'll just go to Houston and see my friend Linda and then come back to Biloxi on Monday to meet the colleagues that I'm there to meet. The drive there was interesting. I crossed tons of bridges, long bridges. Um... My son loved bridges. I mean, the more ornate, he really loves suspension bridges, the better he loved them. So whenever I crossed those bridges, I thought of my son and I said aloud, Ricky, you will love this one. But I got to Houston at about 10.30 p.m. And... I met Linda at a bar, and the bar had lots of dancing and stuff. It was a very queer-friendly bar, and it was fun. It was nice to see people enjoying themselves and being free to express themselves. Even in a time where expression on many fronts is being threatened, but it was good. So after Linda and I danced a bit, it's time to go. So went to my hotel here in Houston. And I'll see Linda again today. All right. And maybe maybe I'll see some birds here in Houston. I'll let you know if I do. Captain's Log, March 2nd. 2023, Elizabeth City, North Carolina. I still have not seen the ready turnstone. But I have had the opportunity 
tune. Be in community with the amazing students and faculty at Elizabeth City State University. I was invited to give a talk, a guest classroom lecture, and also a workshop in the Great Dismal Swamp on outdoor meditation, intergenerational healing, and the mechanics of spatial reasoning in historical geographies of Black movement. And it was a love fest. Before they arrived this morning, they were set to arrive at 9 a.m. I was already there at the Underground Railroad Pavilion. And it was raining. And a lot of students said the day prior, it's going to rain. But of course, me being a birder, it wasn't a big deal. And of course, the faculty, Dr. Chaz Reed, Dr. Melissa Stuckey, Dr. Latif Tariq, they didn't care about any rain. And after I gave my talk last night, the students promised that they would come. They came in the vans. I approached the underground pavilion, which is preceded by a long boardwalk, and I noticed the decaying wood. I know that fungi and all sorts of slime molds love to collect and present themselves on decaying wood. So I grabbed my camera in the rain and I set out. I found polypores, I found brachyfungi, and I found interesting types of lichen. It was a treasure trove. And after I talked to the students, I made sure not to impose my nature ethos on them. But I did tell them about the vast complexities of spatial reasoning and spatial cognition as it would have related to enslaved canal laborers in the Great Dismal Swamp. And before my eyes, the students ventured off to see what lie ahead in the woods, even in the rain. My heart was touched. In the course of the instruction, I pointed to Frederick Douglass's passage and my bondage and my freedom. There's a passage early in the narrative where Douglas talks about going to the Y Plantation in Maryland with his grandmother, Betsy Bailey. It was a 12-mile walk through the forest. And as I recounted that narrative to the students today, I was on the verge of tears. Perhaps they knew, but they were, did not act as if they knew. I am a pro at choking back tears. But that passage always does something to me. Because it was the pain and the trauma that Betsy Bailey had experienced all her long life that allowed her to slip away unnoticed before Frederick Douglass could see that she had gone. 
but Douglas recounts that once he did realize that she was gone, he cried a boy's bitter tears. <sighs> so, that was my time today. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. I One day maybe I'll write about it in closer detail. But I do know that I will be back. I'll always be back here. I'll always be back to Eastern North Carolina. It holds so many residues of memory for me. Most know that I lived in Edenton from the year 2008 to the year 2011. And that was in the before times when my children were very small. My little boy was between the ages of three and five. My girl was between the ages of 10 and 12. I'll never forget that time. And I'll never forget that history and the rich textures of history that exist in Eastern North Carolina. So, this has been a pretty different type of format for this episode. And it's been quite a week, you know. It's been a week. My heaven child has a birthday coming up, March 11th. Had he lived, he would have turned 17. What will I do? Well, I'll go to a conference for one day that's taking place in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then I'll drive down to Laurenburg, North Carolina, where my parents live, where my son has a memorial live oak tree that my father planted on the first anniversary of Ricky's birthday. I'll go there with my parents and we'll stand together and we'll remember my son. We'll pour a libation and we'll pray. That's what we'll do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But that's what we'll do. And I want to thank you all for supporting the podcast and sharing it with people and following my journey. So I'm going to sign off and I'm going to tell you all to remember to go outside, feel the resonance of place, and feel the restorative energies of the outdoors. Go carefully in peace. (laughs) 